the the part that we don't talk about is you should see my screens when I'm recording it. Usually, you know, I have like my iPad and this, and I just have like all the release dates of everything times because otherwise everything blends into like one. You have to remember when something happened and stuff. So it was nuts. So I used to look at, I still do, but I, I look at Scryfall all the time and especially the sets page and when everything came out and past a certain point in magic history, it's like, you know, set one, set two, set three, set four, set five. And that's like, all right, we're on set 71, A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really miss Magic back then quite a bit. Uh, it's going to be very interesting when we get into, like, the early 2010s to the mid-2010s, because I really think that is, like, the actual golden age of Magic, and we're going to probably spend a lot of episodes on that, because, like, that's when SCG takes off. Ross is going to be telling a lot of stories. I was, you know, I get to talk about it from a viewer's perspective before I come in and stuff, and, like... Just all the craziness that comes from Magic going from, you know, we get to watch a little bit ever, uh, of it every now and then, you know, a couple times a year or two. You're watching Magic every single weekend. You're watching yeah, metagames diversely so change good. every single weekend. It was such a golden era, and I miss it yeah, no so kidding. much. God, I miss it so much. I also we love the little, the little things y'all go into, like uh, the minor rules changes, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I in, in that time period you are just talking about, the trigger rules kept changing. So at some point you had to announce every single prowess trigger you you you, you had, and that's and that's yeah. just like something you wouldn't have to do nowadays, and people don't know. Competitive magic back then was horrible. It was awful yeah. to experience because like I, even me, I had to be like cutthroat and assholeish, and that's just not me. And it like seeped in because like you miss one little thing, like you're gonna get thrown out of the damn tournament. It was it was awful. Yeah, I I played an SCG open. I can remember vividly in round one straight up to the first round i am playing a pyromancer's engine deck my opponent's playing like blue light controller or something like that they have a three mana jace that they down tick and i need to kill it because i can't afford them to draw a million cards so i say all right i'm gonna bolt you and they but they have mana open i cannot pay for mana leak they say you're bolting me i say yep i'm bolting you they say that resolves i say all right i'll redirect your jace and they say wait no i'm gonna mana leak that like no <laughs> no sir god the rules are so much better nowadays like yeah. it's unbelievable how much the, the game has progressed and almost 90 something percent of it's been for the better like it's it's so great yeah i felt bad about that but i also knew that's what i needed to do Hey everyone, welcome to episode 326 of the MTG Grindcast. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Caster-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hello. And joining us today, you may recognize him from other Magic the Gathering podcasts, from hosting coverage of various Magic the Gathering tournaments, including the Pro Tour. We are very happy to have Tan and Grace with us today. Hey Tannen. Hey guys, uh, happy to be here. Big fan of you two and your show as well. Congratulations on so many episodes. I didn't even realize it was this many, but it, it doesn't surprise me. You guys are great. It it, it does surprise. I don't really think about it until someone's like, wow, really? Is it, it's 300 and something? I'm like, oh, wow, that's so many episodes. Do you know how many weeks that is? It's like congratulations and condolences, kind of. Yeah. You know, like, sorry you've been going at it this long. Well, hey, talking about magic is very fun. This is one of the highlights yes. of my week, to be honest. It, it's funny, though, because, like, you guys started when Pioneer started, 
the like you guys were the pioneer podcast originally and and you know now now mtg rants uh which feels like oh that wasn't that long ago was it but you guys have been going for a long time now too yeah so how long has pioneer been around like five or six years now or something like that 2019 2024 just before the pandemic so yeah that's what i'm saying if, if you did something like just before the pandemic or into the pandemic, time lost all meaning during exactly. those few years for everyone. Uh, yeah, that story is crazy. So I remember there was an announcement. It was like one of the Monday announcements, I think, or whatever. And there was a banning. There was like a big banning. It was like three or four cards across like multiple formats. It, it you know massively changed things. And then buried in that announcement, there was just like this paragraph or two. It was like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're making another format. It's a format called Pioneer. And they had the rules for it, the banning of like, you know, the fetch lands and stuff. And I remember I was just like, yo, this sounds awesome. And so I messaged Ross and I was like, this is, you know, because at the time we were, you know, still like teammates and stuff for like BCW, you know, we had, we had a good rapport. And I was like, I messaged all my friends. I'm like, this is great, right? So within like the next six hours, we had like multiple domain domain names for like different, uh for, for the podcast, we had like four or five working titles. So we had the emails of all of them set, the Twitter accounts for all of them set. And I was like, yeah, we're just going to do this. We're going to be the first. And like, we had the first aired episode like that night. Like we were like, we're going to be first to market for sure and stuff. And then, you know, Pioneer kind of died for like a year or two because of COVID and then came back big. But at that point we had kind of rebranded. So, which was nice to not kind of pigeonhole us into just talking about specifically one format. I like the idea of that we could talk about magic as a whole because magic's so diverse now. You can't just be a one format person too often unless it's commander. If you're trying to like do this, have any rise and grind, sense, that's actually just <laughs> right. the way to go. That's where the money is for, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> this is a labor of love for us. We're not here for the big bucks. We get the medium bucks. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember the first time I was like kind of doing research and trying to figure out like what kind of patreon rewards should we have what like what kind of numbers should we shoot for and stuff and i was just like comparing different patreons for the podcast and i was like oh yeah you know like jerry's podcast is doing pretty well limited resources doing pretty well and then i like flipped over to like three commander pod the three big commander podcasts and was like oh this is just like a different universe of what you can pull off i guess it's like you find out what the CEO makes versus like, you know, the, the big bosses that be like, oh, that's the real money. This is, this is like panning away in some sort of cyberpunk setting. And they're the commander podcasts are all just the megacorps. Yeah, <laughs> they, they own everything. Yeah, well, we're toiling away delivering pizzas. But anyways, Tannen, we wanted to get you on. We, we got a couple of a couple of topics that we want to get into today. First, we kind of wanted to just kind of catch up on a couple of different things i wanted to talk with you about just coverage in general the coverage game get how what it takes to get into it and what you have done to kind of like be successful and be good at it that's a topic that i am pretty interested in as a person who has done some coverage and would like to get to do more and we have some developments in you know the tournament scene recently including star city games getting to take over the regional championships from DreamHack, something that we're all pretty excited about. News that dropped like minutes after we recorded our last week's episode, so we haven't gotten to talk about it yet. Uh, so that's that's kind of going to be the first half of the show is tournaments and coverage generally. And then we have another topic that we've been wanting to hit for a little while, which is 
the the conversation about deck difficulty and which decks are actually hard to play there's a lot of mythologizing about decks and a lot of kind of misinformation about what decks are hard to play and this is something we've wanted to talk about for a while and i thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about it because you're known for playing kind of decks on the opposite ends of the spectrum of perceived <laughs> difficulty uh, sure classically a delver guy and a tron guy so i i think that we could get some pretty pretty fun insight from you on that that's gonna be a lot of fun actually I, I love that conversation and i can't wait to shatter a lot of you know thoughts that people have on it or make an ass of myself and i sound like an idiot for <laughs> for the arguments that i have but well yeah. i think lee and i are gonna see very eye to eye on this yeah if I had uh, to absolutely guess. i i mean we've talked before not about this topic but i i know that we're gonna be on the same page <laughs> looking forward to that one yeah so why don't we start off with i mean why don't we start off with the news of the day and just kind of get out of the way you know, I am very excited that Star City is taking over running the regional championships and managing the RCQ system. Yeah, I too. <laughs> yeah, I think it's actually just a net positive for Magic, period. Uh, and and I, if, if you've listened to my last episode of MTG Rants, we go into this quite a bit because this affects me personally. Uh, for, for people at home, I do a lot of the coverage for, uh, I do all the coverage for the, the regional championships. I'm one of the people that's physically there doing it. I don't know where that's going to go or what's going to happen with that once SCG takes over at the end of the year and for the years following. I hope my position is still there. I hope I still get paid the same amount. You know, there's <laughs> all kinds of things that could go on through through all of this. Putting that aside, I think it's a net positive. And I do want to say this caveat with it because I, I think it's huge. That I need, it's very big that I need to say this. is like DreamHack was great. All the people that were part of DreamHack Magic were awesome. They were amazing to work with. Some of the most passionate people I've ever seen work with. And some of the hardest workers I've ever worked with because we were always understaffed. We've always been understaffed when it comes to DreamHack. You know, you guys have experienced it firsthand. Anybody who's watched it at home can kind of get the feeling of it that everyone there is having to wear multiple hats and do everything they possibly can and probably stuff that's out of their job description as well to make all of it go. So uh, SCG runs a super tight ship and is, I mean... They could do it with their eyes closed, right? Yeah, the, it's, the experience difference just huge, right? Yeah, yeah, that's going to be big. The the like, there's no question of our tournament is going to have this many players. How many judges do we need? Like, yeah, they're ready. They have a formula for that. Like, they know how to do that. Um, I was never as down on DreamHack as some people were. Same. I I I don't think that there was necessarily. There were no malicious actors or anything necessarily, although I don't think that the way that they ran like the RCQ system was an ideal form or anything like that. I just think that they were, you know, kind of pulled in multiple directions from the pure fact that they're an esports convention and there's a lot going on that doesn't have anything to do with us. And so there's stuff like we have to be out of the tournament hall by... 6 p.m. on Sunday or whatever it is, and that's so brutal for trying to organize a tournament that should be 15 rounds of Swiss and never could be, and also had to like shunt most of the rounds onto day one. And so, you know, things like that, just kind of the realities of the constraints that they were under meant that it couldn't be the best large tournament. It it had to be worse and not that that was anybody's fault, but I'm glad that that's not going to be going on anymore. I, I think you're just 100% right. I think it's the biggest thing to come out of it is, 
You're no longer an afterthought or a side thought or an equal thought to other things. You are the tournament. Like the RCQ and the RC itself are now it. That's that's why, you know, of course, like, they'll probably have an SCG con when they do this, right? And they'll probably have, like, a Lorcana tournament. And they'll probably have, like, a flesh and blood thing going on because, you know, people will come. If you build it, they will come. You know, like, they'll, they'll be there. But the RC is going to be the main thing. It's going to be super supported. It's going to be a huge spectacle. It's going to feel like Grand Prix did back in the day, you know, with the, the sizing of it and the amount of people and stuff. And you're not going to have to buy a badge, which I think is a big improvement for the people that maybe haven't thought about. You don't have to buy the weekend badge or, you know, if you get one for free, you just get to come in for free. SCG makes sure to say that very clearly in their statement. Yeah. You get to come in for free and there, stuff for that. So that's pretty great. Yeah, there, there's a story and I think Dallas where one of our friends just, for whatever reason, the store didn't report that they had won the RCQ. So not only were they like missing a qualification, which they got pretty quickly, but after that, like, how do I get my badge? Like they never gave me, they never allocated a badge to me and he had to buy a badge to get into the hall to talk about this issue. And it's just like, it, hold on now. That's, that's brutal. That's, I, I'd be so mad. Almost had the same thing happen to me, but I caught it the day before the tournament. So I was able to just message in discord and it got sorted out mm -hmm. like real quick. And th that, that experience was very positive like if that experience had gone badly for me then i probably would fall into the camp of like boy dreamhack should not be doing this stuff but the the individualized like helping players out i i've seen multiple examples like the the people running the tournament cared about the experience and just were operating under some pretty significant constraints yeah i i think you make a really good point there you know carter who runs everything is absolutely amazing and as a tournament organizer, the person who's like physically there that has to put everything together and make all the decisions, you know, that is constantly bombarded all day long by questions and like, hey, what do we need to do? He has to make all the decisions. He's been one of the most caring that I've ever seen uh, from day one. He absolutely cares about the players and their experience. I've seen him be moved to tears actually over something that happened. I won't get into the specifics of it because it has to do with some personal stuff with a player and just a really shitty situation that had to be you know sorted out and he was not happy with it and then there was other situations where he got to make someone's weekend and like also there and you could tell that he really cared i would run through a wall for that man you know it's like you, you know if you ever played sports you had like that one coach that you know you really jived with that really got you going or that one teacher at school that really you know uh reached you on you know the deep level or whatever that's 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 how he is for me i would do anything for that man but I am very much, very much looking forward to some Jared Silva run SCG tournaments. Uh, I do love some Jared. Yeah. That was that was that has been a highlight of my Magic playing career, and I'm I'm excited to get back for it. Also excited to get back to tournaments where SCG is a primary vendor at them, and I can pre-order yeah. cards for my deck <laughs> and show up. I you know even SCG d is out of stock of a lot of the standard cards that I've needed recently, but it's. Ordering from SCG is a pleasant experience generally. When they when they have when they're coming to the con and bringing their stuff, they yep. know what they're gonna sell, right? Yeah, yep. they bring the comments and uncomments a lot of the time too. Because look, I've been following your Twitter a lot over the last month or two about the whole like ordering your cards, getting them on time, or getting the wrong cards and then having to deal with that. And I'll tell you this: I'm so glad that I'm on this side of the rope and not on that side of the rope anymore. Because like. I actually downsized my collection the other day by a significant amount. I should have done it years ago when I knew this was going to happen, that, like, you know, cards could be worth less and, like, I was going to be moving more into production and, like, coverage side. But neither here nor there. The collection that I kept just to make sure that I didn't run into that situation, 
no normal human being should have to keep up with that to be able to play competitive magic because it's so difficult. And how are you supposed to know what deck you're supposed to play like two and a half weeks before a tournament so you can order our stuff in time and then hope to get it? But like, what if you want to make a change? Because I don't know until like the night before a lot of the times the deck that I'm, I'm like between multiple decks. You know, you know and I'm horrendous about that. Exactly the spot that I've ended up with this RCQ season. Like t- three weeks ago, before I really started like getting my reps in on Magic Online and, and getting a full feel for the format, I had only played a little bit and I thought, well... I got to order cards now. Domain is the level one deck in the format. I suppose I'll just order the cards for that. The more I played with it, the more I was like, oh, I don't really enjoy this. I'm not sure that I can win an RCQ with this deck, but those are the cards that I had. I played it last weekend, didn't do well. And now I'm just like, okay, I I would like to play a different deck. And it's extremely difficult to at this point. Like Lee, you're probably you've probably got this too, right? Do either one of y'all? I still have cards in the thing they sent them to me, like the little sleeve where I'm like, yeah, I ordered those, planning to play them, never did, put them in my collection somewhere, and then I'll find them years later. Like I've still got like prowess cards because I almost played like red white prowess in some event or something. So I have like the one drops, like all eight of them, just like sitting in a box, still in the little I don't know what they call that little the little one that you like open up, the like the, the one that has a door that they send cards in, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the name clear, is escaping yeah. me for some reason. Yeah, the little clear glass thing is like it has like <laughs> yeah. the, it has like little knobs and you open the door because there's like ten or twelve cards in it, and they're still sitting in there in one sleeve with all four copies of it. And there's, I'm like, there's still the packing peanut in there holding. Them yeah, <laughs> like they could have not even sent me eight of them, and I might not know. <laughs> like I still haven't checked. I recently went through a collection. I say recently, it was like months ago, uh, within a year, and took all of those out. Right, and then at the RCQ this past week and a few days ago. I needed like a couple of cards from one of our friends with and he's like, all right, here you go. And he hands it to me in one of those things. And I almost like recoiled. <laughs> like, no, 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 I don't want anything to do with this. Yeah. <laughs> PTSD. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I agree with the card available thing. Like I had an easy out where I ordered a bunch of cheap card, like Harlan wanted his RCQ with, I don't know if either of y'all saw this, like a red did. green, uh, I've been working on something like Oslo. that myself. So. I ordered those cards in November because <laughs> I was, I like wanted to work in that space. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad Harlan made it work. I found the like Legends deck soon after that and invested that instead. Or in addition to actually, I can I can play both decks. One thing that I always do say if the situation comes up because uh you know I do a podcast with Ross Merriam. We talk about this a lot about changing decks before tournaments. Uh, in in another things I'll talk about this is uh, I like to. Uh, no uh make a note on the privilege that i have with the person that i am in the space that we're in mm-hmm. and ross has this privilege and you guys definitely do as well where you and i when i say you i mean you both and we we have a different situation where y'all. if yeah y'all if if, it's, <laughs> if if i'm missing something the night before a tournament i can just put it up on twitter and like i'm gonna have 15 people in my dms trying to give me the card or trying to give me an entire deck it's 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 hard for me not to find cards that i need or an entire deck I have lost my deck or like forgotten my deck before in the morning of the tournament, realized it. And I got there and someone just handed me the 75. They're like, you need to sleep. I was like, yeah, cool. I, I, I do like to bring that up because I do know that other people don't have that privilege and the situation is much more dire and harder for them. So as much as we complain about it, it's even worse for the average proprietor of a magic tournament, you know, at, the, at a different level that we're at. So like whatever we have to complain about they've always got worse and so i i feel bad sometimes because like i don't even have it anywhere near as bad as they do when i make this complaint yeah it's it's tough especially just at one end of the spectrum you've got 
Boy, Shieldreds are $85, but at least like one of your friends has Shieldreds that they bought to play Pioneer Rakdos. At the other end of the spectrum, I like went through every single local store in the Triangle area and also on the way to Wilmington to see if I could just like find some deep cavern bats. And that card just doesn't exist in the state of North Carolina. So, you know, fortunately, Lee ordered some deep cavern bats and isn't going to be playing them but Mm -hmm. i would also like to own a set so (laughs) gotta get on that that's one of the cool things about having scg they they have a lot of cards and they're incentivized to bring them and they're they're gonna know to bring that yeah they're definitely gonna know to bring that they have those i mean i guarantee they're gonna show up more than four copies of this uncommon that's played in like you know, a lot of standard decks. They will have. You're going to be playing a premium. And I remember that was a big discussion too on Twitter about yeah, like someone fine. complaining about the the price. I'm willing to pay whatever it is. And, and I think it is worse now than it probably will be at any point because we've hit like a perfect mismatch of supply yes. and demand because people draft on arena rather than drafting in paper a lot more. It hasn't been worth it for stores to open standard product because people haven't been buying standard cards. But as soon as RCQ season started, people started buying standard cards. Demand spiked for everything. Gix is an almost $40 card because... Is it really? Yeah, I was surprised about that last episode. Yeah, Yeah. And, And so the RCQ season creates the standard demand, which will encourage the opening of product and hopefully Mm -hmm. things even out a little bit more over time there's also like the small bit of like it also encourages people to trade in and sell cards to their lgs that they normally wouldn't in the that i that i I beat you to at least in the uncommons (laughs) people don't turn in deep cavern bat like they just don't do it you know so like that's another problem at the lgs level sorry i didn't mean to take your your thunder there you're fine like one one of the cool things about the rcq season I i was really skeptical uh, it, going into the standard RCQ season because of how hard it is to get cards. Uh, I thought our our RCQ locally to us that I went to this past Saturday, CCR was there too, I uh, was going to have like 12 people, 14 people, something like that. Some small number because standard's dead. But we have 45 30 people. We had 30. Hold on. It's not the full story. But we had 32 or almost a six rounder. And uh, maybe an hour away west of us, hour hour and a half, they had 50-some people for standard. That's impressive. In same exact day. That's yeah. splitting the tournament. <laughs> and that was a two-slaughter, so it's going to get more attendance. Uh-huh. I chose to go to the one 10 minutes away from me as opposed to an hour and a half. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, my, my LGS, which is like one of the only competitive ones that does competitive events, uh, they had like, I think, like 40 or 50 people. They yeah, made it I, I, was, I was shocked. Yeah. yeah, we're a commander. Like, my LGS, like is is commander like very much commander which helps for my collection a lot because commander guys at my store they still buy boxes like they're going out of style and i'm like hey let me get those like you know those uncommons whatever and then i'll give them like a a commander card that i own you know which is great like it's great those subterranean schooners you opened up i I need those yeah because like this commander card really it's like one card is like twenty dollars i'm like give me all of the random standard stuff you have and they're like because you know it's like 15 uncommons and like i'm like that's a fair deal but it's like it's great for me because i don't have to go run down this stuff you know yeah. and they could they couldn't care less right it's it's great for them they get rid of the they get some value on the stuff they would normally just throw away or it collects dust in their closet which i'm pointing to my closet over here i've got probably <laughs> a million magic cards in there i i will say and not to get too into the details of like the format or anything because that's really not what we're going into today I, the more i've played standard the more i have enjoyed it i think great. That there's a good diversity of 
macro archetypes that you can play like from the biggest nonsense uh, in the four color legends deck which i think is totally playable to domain to various like tempo-y aggressive blue decks to just like straight up like a black red deck of any size like however many seven drops or however many two drops you want to play the the strategies are becoming a little more defined as decks rather than just assemblages of good cards and i hope that this trend continues because i i have been enjoying the standard i think it's getting pretty good the moon to three-year standard is so good i've been begging for it for years see i disagree with you on that but oh, okay. i, yeah. I, I do like it. the format i just don't like <laughs> no, don't i don't know. like a three-year thing it, it's just it's just a small thing for me i want to see more different cards you know what i mean like i don't want in year three to be pulling the cards from year I, you one. you don't like it the strong cards to be so yes like pulled i i understand yeah. that and i i do get it but it's gonna i lead think... to more bannings i think in the long run We'll see. I'm, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I just hope it doesn't. I, oh, what course, I hope yeah. for is that there's just more cards to pull from throughout the years where you can play with like Kamigawa Channel Lands that would have rotated out a while ago. Which true. It, you know, like that. That's, that's really the true. kind of thing I am really see. That's of. great. I, I love that part of it. I love that. Like CCR hit it here. Like when you go look at standard, it feels like there's a new breakout deck every week right now. Which like we haven't. Like when's the last time we had that standard? It's it's been forever. You know that we've had something like that so well people I, are playing it now so yeah right? yeah they're actually firing full you know challenges online and stuff yeah it's it's absolutely great and like i actually watched you play the uh the bant deck on your stream this weekend because <laughs> i almost played in my rcq which it's weird for me to play in the events when i know that i'm going to be covering the event because like you know i'm covering denver i'm like covering the next one so like if i played against a friend i'm just going to concede to them if i like make it into the you know what i mean like it's it'd be awkward if i won the tournament even though it is like a 1k you know it's like i can't take i don't want to take the slot from somebody kind of thing which let's put it i don't know if i'd win it anyway because i'm pretty washed at this point when it comes to playing but that was a long way of me saying that's the deck i would have played this weekend i would definitely would have played the infect and it ended up i'm sorry it's not infect it's uh toxic, toxic. Yeah, toxic. Sorry, uh, got to get my Britney Spears moment in there. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's the deck that actually won our RCQ this weekend. It was a great, great call. There was domain everywhere. So right, yeah. Uh, also on the spectrum of decks you can play is like the the worst looking pile of creatures you've ever so seen bad. that puts together a board state on turn three. That's like, oh, I actually can't ever beat this, huh? That's that's impossible. Mm -hmm. If we talk about like you know later about like complicated decks, one of the most one of the harder decks for me to play that, I, that I've done well with, I almost won an open once with the cheapest deck I've ever played in my life. It was like literally $37 or something. Like that. I almost won a standard open with it. <laughs> and uh, it was like that. You just have this board of like the most anemic creatures you've ever seen in your life. And you were just beating down. It was the... It was affectionately called Mono Blue Shitters. I don't know if you guys remember this deck back in the day. Was oh, this like, Ravnica Allegiance or was uh, this earlier? I, I can't remember. It was like because there's been generations of Mono yeah. Blue Shitters. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was the one with Tempest Gen deck, or yeah, it was the Tempest Gen deck. That was yeah. one of the only rares. It was Tempest Gen, and that wasn't even the most. It was Curious Obsession. It was the most expensive card. It was like three or four bucks. Mm -hmm. And then I, the other thing is your mana base was just 17 islands. Like you had no non-basic land, so like your mana base was free. So the deck was just actually free it was like 20 bucks you know so yeah i mean and you can actually kind of do that right now the mono red deck is pretty although the mono red deck is a little bit more expensive now that people it it's still it's still fine it's 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 a relatively budget rather than spend all of our time because <laughs> we easily could it's yeah. easily good yeah i i do want to talk a little bit about just sort of 
you know, since we've got you here about getting into coverage, sort of like your path into that. And I guess just an idea of like, it, it is so hard for me to see because there's no like road to it. You don't like apply no. to a, yeah. a, an entry level job and then eventually you're doing coverage and stuff. Uh, there's no college course for, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. right. well, some some specific colleges might have something, but right. MTG commentary. But, but much more yeah. common is the the Marshall Sutcliffe, like be in the room when they want some, but they need somebody yeah. on coverage and somebody knows you and says, why don't you put this guy on? And then that mm. becomes that your job for, you know, decades yeah. is, is more common. But there has to be some things that you can do to allow yourself to be in that position a little bit better, a little more likely to be chosen for something. And I, I would love to give myself any advantage that I can going forward. So I'd like, you know, hear about your path and any advice that you, you've got. Sure. Uh, I get this. I get this question a lot. I'll try to give the shortest answers possible on this because it's, it's a long story. So if you want to follow my exact path, the, the best thing I can tell you is be extremely lucky because it kind of just fell into my lap. Um, so I had done some small things here or there. I remember I was at an event once. I did badly. It was like a two-day event. And someone got like sick on the second day. And they were like, hey, can you cover a round for us? I did a round. They were like, hey, you were great. Do you mind just doing more? And I'm like, yeah, this is easy. Like, you know, this is great. Like, I, I just took to it like a fish in water or whatever. You know, I'm very, I talk a lot. So it helps. Um, then years later, uh, I got this like, this is how long ago it was. I got the Skype call from a friend. You know, Discord wasn't even a thing yet. I got a Skype call from a friend. His name is Nathan Zamora. If you've done any esports stuff in the past, he's that's admirable. That's admirable. And, yeah, he is unbelievably talented. To this day, one of the most talented people I've ever worked with. Just I don't know how he didn't get into voice acting. He's he's he would wipe the floor with me if it was some kind of competition, right? And I just talked to him on Skype about it, and he's like, "Hey, I'm playing this new game called Hearthstone. You should check it out." At the time, I had just qualified for a pro tour, and I was like, "I, I don't have the bandwidth for that, man." But we just bantered back and forth, and what I didn't know was. He was actually building a show with somebody there where they were going to do a Hearthstone professional. Like it was the MPL before the MPL. We had, it was the HP. It was the HPL. It was the Hearthstone Professional League, and he was building it with somebody. And uh, his director or whatever just happened to be sitting in the room while that was going on, and he heard he and I talking back and forth. And he's like, "Can you teach this kid how to play this game?" And Nathan's like, "Yeah, he's good at games or whatever." And he's like, "I love the way you guys sound together." So they flew me out there. This is I'm living in Vegas at the time. Or they flew me out to like uh, Dallas, Texas, uh, and they were like, "Yeah, like do a a, a a run." And we did a run, and they were like, "All right, you're hired." And so they like signed me on, and I did that. So it kind of went from there. You know, I did Hearthstone for a while. Then you know, uh, you know, a little bit here or there of Magic. I did kind of like you know more like what you did, kind of the outskirt type things, like the the tertiary stuff, like you know, like energy type stuff, like the smaller things. You know, no huge gig yet. You know, definitely not the pro tour or anything like that. And then I got really lucky a few years ago. I did what's called the Kibbler. I call it the Kibbler, where yeah. you go and get popular in some other game or do well in some other game and match. Like, hold on a second. Wait, 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 wait. Come back. Like, come <laughs> back, right? So, like, Flesh and Blood just kind of fell into my lap. And it's really funny that you mentioned Marshall Sutcliffe because uh, you guys know who Jeff Foster is. If you don't know who Jeff Foster is at home, he's mm -hmm. behind the scenes of literally everything. <laughs> You've watched so much of his work. He messaged me one day and he's like, do you play Flesh and Blood? And I'm like, uh, no, I've heard of it. Everybody said it's a great game. Never played it. He's like, do you think you could learn it in like three weeks? And I was like, yeah, how hard could it be? You know, like, I'm like, yeah, how hard could it be? And so he's like, we have a uh, event. It was a Grand Prix level event coming up. They're pushing hard for it in North America and they want coverage. And if you do well at this one, there's like three more over the next two months. And we'll just sign you up for all of them if you do well on one. So I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, I, I sign on or whatever. I go to download the like 
arena client for flesh and blood because i'm like how hard can this be i'm gonna be the best player in like three days you know i'll just play 12 hours a day for three days straight <laughs> there, there's there's no way to do that i get hit by a hurricane i have like no power so i do my best that i can at the, at the first show they loved it because they, you know they got people who actually know the game but like had never done the job and i've done the job so we worked well mm-hmm. together i just started doing every event for them for like three years and then magic was like come back you know because like you know jeff got me in on stuff and from there, it just kind of blew up. You know, I did like one RC and they're like, no, you're going to do all of them. Started doing some of the pro tours, the arena championships, and uh, did like some mocks and stuff last year. So it was a big year for me. Very thankful for that. Uh, biggest piece of advice that I could give for people. So it's weird. Um, getting reps is hard. Getting quality reps is hard as well. Uh, you know, getting to do shows or getting to do coverage. Uh, it matters who's working with you, like what you're working with. I've been very lucky that like, all of my productions have been pretty top notch. You know, I've never had to kind of like work my way up from nothing and that can be difficult, but uh, yeah, you just got to get the time in the effort and you have to really want it is, is another thing because people think we just show up and that's it. Like that's, that's the job. I do so much in between shows to be ready for that show, like to understand the formats, especially when I'm doing two different or three different games at a time. Like I was doing flesh and blood and magic, like week to week, my brain wanted to explode. Um, so yeah, just get the reps. The biggest pieces of advice that I can give people, and this is going to sound really bad because I just went on this huge tangent, is don't go down the rabbit hole when you're when you're doing casting. Like, uh, you know, keep it nice, concise. Uh, one of the best images I can give you of this is the way that Patrick Sullivan does it. He never wastes a single word. He is like the most perfect wordsmith I've ever seen in my life. Every word matters. Nothing is extra. So don't go down the rabbit hole with that. If you want to come back and circle back to it after the game, write yourself a note. I keep notes while I'm doing this and then come back like, you know, hey, we saw, you know, LSV win this game and it really mattered that turn five play here. And you can go back there. And the other biggest one, drink a lot of water, <laughs> you know, be very hydrated because it's way more draining physically than you'll ever think before you like the first time either one of y'all did coverage. Were you ready for how tired you were after it? Not exactly. Like I knew something was going to happen because I... I played really long magic tournaments. I'm generally fine all the way throughout those. And then, you know, like an hour after the tournament and I haven't quite gone to bed yet, I'm just like dead. I was kind of expecting something like that. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is for me. I'm just, I'm so beat, especially like, you know, you joked about the RC and how long of a day it was. I think it was 15 hours for me. I think I was on site for like 14 or 15 hours and I was just, I was just dead. Yeah, and doing commentary is a different, because you're, you're talking the whole time you're live and like maintaining that sort of like energy level and social interaction kind of thing. And it, it, you're not faking it, but you are putting on a performance. You're acting. It's entertainment. You're acting. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, and like putting out that effort consistently, it, it, it is like it, it takes a certain amount of energy out of you to do that. And I, I definitely like when we were, you know, casting tournaments, when, when I was, in the like behind the scenes production role i tried really hard i was like i don't want anybody to be on here for more than like two rounds at a time because Mm -hmm. it's so hard to like keep going yeah you just need to to take take a breather one other piece of advice i can give and um i've i've done this and i've not done this and i prefer it this way is if you're doing the typical two-man or sorry two-person booth um have defined roles going in i'm a big fan of the way that like you know, SCG and the Pro Tour and stuff does it where you have a play-by-play and a color. You know, you have the person that is pretty much telling you what's going on. So you have the Cedric, 
Then you have the person that is expounding upon those plays and telling you why the thing is happening and what makes it good, what makes it bad, et cetera, which is generally Patrick. I use this as an example because I think that's who most people have seen. You know, it's like when you have, uh, you know, Marshall in the booth, he's generally play by play. And then you have the pro in the booth who's generally like someone like Corey Baumeister. He is generally color. So he's there to expound the place. I kind of missed the second or the thing. When I got hired for Flesh and Blood, uh, the reason I joked about it, it's funny that you brought up Marshall, is someone showed me a screen cap of it when they talked to Jeff. They were like, uh, this is what we need. This is what we want. They literally said, we want a Marshall Sutcliffe-like person. And so Jeff was like, we'll just get you Marshall Sutcliffe light. You know, Tannen's like six inches shorter than him and has like way less of a career. <laughs> and not as good at basketball. Yeah. Not as good at basketball or fixing watches. You know, I don't know if you've watched yeah. his YouTube. That's his it, main yes. career now. It's, it's amazing. Fixing watches on he, YouTube. I don't know a thing about it. I love it. <laughs> I, I also have watched several watch fixing videos and they're incredible. Like I, his work on that YouTube channel just blows all the Pro Tour stuff he's ever done out of the water. He is, he is more passion you can you can sense mm-hmm. the care and like the how much he likes that and and yeah. how it's still like i think there's a level of like boy this magic thing has gone on for a very long time yes. and it's hard to maintain like a, a that that pure energy about it mm-hmm. uh and he's he gets a lot of joy out of the watch stuff and you can tell the the one thing i'll say about this and uh hopefully if it ever gets back to him this is not me hating on it because we just said so many nice things about the man and his youtube channel which is huge by the way his millions of subscribers it's also very good if like you need something to put you to sleep because he's like he's very articulate but he's very like it's um it's almost like uh I literally, it's like Bob Ross. He has like the, the the monotone, like explaining something to you in the same voice the whole way through. And it just kind of eventually lulls you to sleep. And it's just like, now we're going to do this in the watch. And then we're going to do that into the watch. And it's just, oh man, I don't know right. about it. It just puts me right to sleep or in a good mood. You're not going to like miss anything because there's no, no stakes to it. Like you don't yeah. need this information for anything. So you can just kind of like let it wash over you. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're also getting Marshall ideas for his second channel, Dangerous Watch Repairs, where he's super <laughs> hyped the whole time. <laughs> you can't sleep through that one. <laughs> well, there's, there's the also the version like... where he's like, you know, the super even killed Marshall Sutcliffe for like 15 minutes. And then every once in a while, he just like yells so you can't fall asleep to it. Uh, the Beethoven. Right, exactly. So, yeah. in in my mind, I envisioned the the dangerous one. Uh, that scene from Mission Impossible, Tom Cruise is coming from the ceiling, like suspended by the rope, and he's just trying to fix the watch. Fix the watch on the there. floor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, this is so good. All right, these are good tangents. Um, yeah, which these are exactly the things you don't want to get into during coverage of an active Magic: The Gathering. So, match. well, hey. So, but I, sometimes I, you got to when there's nothing good going okay. on. So here, here's a good example. Uh, I did one of the last, like, I think it was, this was a normal pro tour for Flesh and Blood. We had a match. Everything's best of one. We had a match. It was the longest match I've ever covered. It was like two hours and 20-something minutes, oh, right? this is, okay. Yeah, he, like, decked <laughs> his opponent, right? You I, yeah, I'm familiar. With, I know it was yeah, 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 you have to physically go through all the cards. And uh, Brian Gottlieb, you know, the, the, the magician, everybody knows him. You, know, you mentioned his podcast earlier. He... he uh, he asked me before the round, he's like, hey, do you mind covering for me this round? I was like, yeah, sure. And then I sit in the booth, I put the headphones, I'm like, what match do we have? And they told me, and I see Brian do the like side eye thing from across the room, just like looks at me and I just go, you mother, you know, like I knew it. And, and he, then he dashes off really to good. the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. He like told me, like, yeah, I got to use a restroom or something. And he told me afterwards, he's like, oh yeah, like I legit got you on this. Like, you know, but, but during that, the, the game is like, 
it was kind of over for like an hour and a half. It was like they just had to go through the, the motions. And sometimes you do have to do that. It's called like vamping where you're like filling dead air. And that's where we kind of make our money because I mean, uh, that is harder uh, to do. Yeah. Especially yeah. a game like Flesh and Blood, where you're literally seeing the same cards over and over and over again. It gets like so you can only say it's the same thing a couple of times. <laughs> That's the other key people don't get is people are like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I say the same 10 things 100 different ways. That's it. That, that's my job <laughs> and obviously i absolutely love it yeah i absolutely love my job too by the way i don't want to take anything from that i hope i get to do this for a very long time that's not looking super great this year but we'll see you know because like with the scg thing going on and with you know uh i was part of the budget cuts for pro tour chicago but you know i talked about this on my podcast and it was like it was kind of negative at the time and i didn't i don't mean that in like you know watch sucks no nothing like i understood it in fact uh, I actually like really appreciated them and like even responded to it was almost like the um, you know like telling someone thank you when they tell you bad news like if you're really good at delivering it they'll tell you thank you or whatever like I, I thanked them because they were very upfront and open about it they're like we like your work this is nothing about what you've done we have to make hard decisions we have to cut costs somewhere and while we like what you do it is not 100% necessary for the show so we've made this hard decision of you will, you know, you and the other people who do what you do won't be at the show this time. A couple days later, I did get the invite to go to the Pro Tour after that one, which is Seattle. So I'll be back doing what I do and hopefully more in the future. And hopefully this is, nice. a, this is just a one-off thing. So that, that's a big hope for me and for everyone in the industry, because that's the other thing is I'm trying not to dissuade people who want to get into this, but it's a tough time in the industry for all of us right now, for everyone across the board. All my friends that do this, we're all struggling a little bit right now. Yep. And it is very much subject. I mean, entertainment industry generally is subject to economic downturns. The, like the first thing that people stop spending money on is luxuries. And then when you are not only in like, oh, the, the entertainment and gaming industry, but you're kind of an ancillary like offshoot of that. You're it's a precarious position that as soon as things get bad money stops going like that far out to the extremities of the hobby and and it 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 hurts it sucks yeah i mean i've, I've had to have a discussion with people before because i've been uh you remember that big thing about uh quiet quitting that came out like a year or two ago i <laughs> yes. feel like i got quiet fired from jobs multiple times <laughs> in this industry you know they just like stop talking to you they just stop asking you to do things and that's why i was so thankful about the watsy thing is like you know i got this like five paragraph email with like you know, here's the whole situation. Here's why. Because, like, when it happens to you, you're like, what happened? Did did my performance go down? Like, you know, it's like when you get broken up with. You're like, what what did I do? I want to know what I did wrong. Can I get the report card? Like, can I get the, the aftermatch yeah. summary? You know, like, wh where did I mess? What can I do to improve to not have this happen again in the future? Um, it's it's a lot of factors. And the other thing, too, in this industry is, like, sometimes you get too big for yourself. Like, if you're, if you're good at what you do and you're on the top end of compensation for that as well which for what i do i am on mostly the top end of compensation for magic you know there's some there's a lot of people that make more than i do for different reasons but like i'm expensive for other people in other spots so like i kind of hurt myself there you cannibalize yourself for like now i don't even get asked to do certain jobs because like they know they can't afford me and i and sometimes i'm like yeah maybe i take a pay cut or help you out do whatever but like at the same time it, it you know it's the way the business is and it, it it sucks but it's just the way it is, and it, I wish it wasn't. You know, I wish I got to do everything, honestly. But you know, also the new wave of talent that's coming up in a lot of the other games and ours, 
they're so good. Like, they're so much better than I was at their age. Like, you, you guys, when I watch you do it, I'm like, where did you learn from? That's what I want to know. Because I had to, well, like, I had to know. suck, <laughs> you know? We, you guys we got to suck. We got to watch Patrick and Cedric the whole time before we ever, like, you know, the, the, before we ever got on a mic, like, they were, like, they had been kicked off the air by market forces. So. They give you the blueprint. <laughs> yeah, you could follow. Yeah. yeah. Not, not, not that we got on there and were Patrick, you know, it's just that football players get better every single year because they get to like learn from the football players that came like Tom Brady being a quarterback made a difference to being a quarterback in the NFL. And not that you don't need to be as good as Tom Brady to be influenced by him. And that's like people just learn how to play the game better. Yeah. And that's true for basically every skill in human history. We also have spent uh, 10,000 hours recording ourselves talking to each other about Magic the Gathering, so that yeah. helps our rapport. Doing a podcast definitely helps because I think people who watch at home, especially when, look, I make mistakes all the time in the job. I'll say someone's name wrong. I'll say the wrong name of a card. I'll forget what a card does. That's, that's or God forbid they have the 17th different variant of a card, and I don't know that that's a breeding <laughs> pool you know, or whatever, or we can't see the, uh, what's the swamp land? I literally just blanked. Uh, that makes everything swamps. Uh, yeah, that's trap. a huge yeah. coverage. They literally tell us now they're like, there's going to be an Urberg in play. Cause we're like on tape delay. Yeah. And we, we know they're like, there's going to be an, Urberg they in play. will like, tap a fetch land for Bannon. Do not yeah, freak yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause everyone can stay calm. <laughs> the job is so hard. Cause like, like think about what we're doing right now. We're all having a conversation with each other, but like you're physically next to the person. So you're looking at them, right? Then people are talking in my ear while I'm doing that. Right. Like the director's telling me like, hey, this is coming up or like blah, blah, blah. It doesn't always happen, but we have that happen. Then we have, you know, the, the screen in front of us that we're watching. We're trying to watch the game from both angles and do it correctly. Then I can see other people doing things. You know, there's just so much going on that like you have to zero in on it. And when people can do it to just the highest level, like when a Corey Baumeister or, you know, a Cedric or Patrick, when you're watching them do this, like it's unreal how good they are. Like. A lot of people like to, you know, I'll, I'm just going to say this. A lot of people like to say some trash talk about Marshall and how he's not good at his job. And that guy is phenomenal at what he has to do and what he does. Because I do a lot of what Marshall does, and I don't get the same hate that he does where they're like, one of the big ones is like, yeah, but he asks like such dumb questions. Like, that is his job. <laughs> like, he's supposed to make the other person look smart and make the game palatable for the 99% that are watching it who aren't indoctrinated into competitive magic. You know, when you're watching the Pro Tour, especially back in the day, but it was like huge, huge, there's 50, 60, 70,000 people watching. Do you think every one of them is good enough to win a PTQ and understand the minutia of this matchup that you're watching? No. So he's trying to help that. And if you're at home and you've played this matchup 100 times, you're going to understand it at a depth that he might not because he hasn't physically done that. But that's not his job. Yeah, one and, of the... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, one of, one of the things I started doing more intentionally not intentionally patterning after marshall but not uninfluenced by it was just asking questions i already knew the answers to so that someone yes. else could explain it that's the big one i see that in chat all the time why does he ask that question like was he stupid he doesn't know he knows the answer that's why he's asking the question because it's a good question to ask and you know i definitely modeled myself after him a lot after patrick i mean a lot after cedric i'm sorry a lot more after cedric because i do a lot of play-by-play -play now and then, honestly, I grew up watching Sports Center. I did not watch a lot of cartoons growing up. I had an older brother. He loved sports. I end up, you know, if you know anything about me, I'm a huge sports guy. So I kind of modeled myself a lot after, like, the 90s Sports Center kind of thing in, like, college football, baseball guys. So I think you can kind of see that in the I'm a little calmer, like, 
more buttoned up in the uh yeah. in the booth not, not quite PGA but maybe MLB. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just more my style and the way that it works and it depends on who it also just depends on who you're working with. And that's another piece of advice I can give people is if you're ever working with somebody, especially if you don't have a great rapport with them ahead of time, not that it has to be a bad one, you just don't you don't have that base to go to. Maybe have a Discord call for 30 minutes before a show, learn each other's kind of speaking patterns. I see you nodding a lot. CCR, have you done this before? Yeah, because I've done coverage a couple of times with people who I, you know, haven't done hundreds of podcast episodes with. And every mm-hmm. time that I do that, it's much, much easier if I just have a little conversation beforehand and, and get to know mm-hmm. them a little bit. Yeah. Talk about the roles that you're going to have, how you're going to approach it. And there's like, there's drastically different people. You know, when I did for energy, the two people that I worked with the most were uh, Joel Set and Drake Sasser. If you've ever heard them do, they are the opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, Joe is very monotonous, very calm and very self-deprecating. And Drake Sasser makes me sound like I'm talking slow. You know? <laughs> and so he's just you know, got a lot to say. With it. Yeah. Yeah. I love Drake's it. Drake's got that bombastic. Way. Yeah. 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 The sports center thing is good. Like, you know, that's obviously where Cedric gets a ton of his inspiration mm-hmm. from and, and what he really brought to very the, similar. the game yeah. is like, hey, people have figured this out already. Like sports exist. I know mm-hmm. none of you nerds have watched any sports, but I'm going to bring <laughs> this like what I've learned from watching years and years of sports to it. And, and yeah. he really helped improve kind of how coverage is just the the cadence of it and stuff. I, I do think that there are some things that don't necessarily have to be translated from sports in exactly the same way, like the the color and play by play dichotomy. I think that, you know, it's a necessity in sports because when you are not an expert on football, it's very difficult to st- understand exactly what's going on in a football play that happens so quickly and having someone describe it to you is important depending on exactly the game of magic that's being played out you don't necessarily need every play narrated to you at all times and i think that sometimes you do and it's up to the team to figure out like when that's necessary it's also up to like when i'm working with somebody who i don't have that history with then making sure that we have our defined color play-by-play roles and we're kind of like using that as a method to bounce off of each other is really, really useful. When it's me and Lee in the booth or it's me and Collins or something like that, we can just have a conversation and it almost magically leads to us talking about every play that happens that matters and Mm -hmm. the implications of it. Because we don't need to say, fetch is a blood crypt here. We can say grief scam turn one yeah. what's the importance of like what do you take first what do you take second here and and just kind of shortcut to that me and collins did commentary for collins and i did commentary for <laughs> the uh the gathering which was a convention in durham hosted by one of our lgs's and they they did commentary for it and asked us to be part of it and we did it and initially because i had our little team of four people i was like these are the roles we need to have these are the roles I'm assigning you. And I was going to be uh, play play for Collins' color because me and Collins were just going to do it together. And I started off doing the normal play-by-play thing, you know, the prompting and whatever. And then at some point in one of the matches, I asked Collins a question to analyze it, but he knew I had way more experience in the matchup than he did. So he just asked me, what would you do? And I'm like, you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Then I guess we'll just we'll just go back and forth. This is fine. Yeah. <laughs> and th- th- then we just did it. Like 
Okay. I, agree, I think it's great that y'all brought up these points because it made me think of another thing to talk about there with coverage too. And this is a big thing that I talk about a lot. And I know that I talk a lot. Like I'm, I'm very aware of that. And if you see me in the booth, sometimes I'm that way. Sometimes I'm not. Or if you hear me in a booth, I think it's a better way to put it. Um, a big thing that I think that we don't do in magic coverage enough is, and I don't think we should do too much, is we feel dead air at all times, right? You know, like there are certain people like they're afraid of dead air. It feels like, you know, there's always going to say something and there's this thing about it and they do it really well in sports and big moments where like they, I call it letting the broadcast breathe. You kind of let it speak for itself. You let the gravity of the situation set in. The tone of voice you're using matters as well. Like if the situation's really high, like high intense and like, the way your the gravitas in your voice matters in the way that you're conveying the information. I know we keep going to them, but Patrick's very, very good at not over explaining everything and not always explaining every single play. And then Cedric's very good at like, you know, he'll give him a moment, like he'll he'll finish his sentence, he'll pause. And if Patrick wants to say something about this play, he can't he can. He's not he doesn't have to. And it's like, yeah, like it's not something I need to analyze. And Cedric will just keep going into the next moment. You'll hear the broadcast breathe for a minute. And it still feels very natural. When you're in the booth, it might not feel natural because you're so used to that. I say something, you say something. I say something, you say something. It doesn't have to be that way. And you can, like you said, you can fluidly go back and forth. And you'll, the more you're with somebody, the more you work with somebody, you kind of just pick up on that and learn on that. And it just becomes better. Like, I love listening to people who have that, rep- like, those repetitions together because they find it very naturally and it's so good because I never want you to notice that I'm talking to you when I'm doing a show. I want you to feel like, so like my favorite way of watching SCG back in the day, uh, I have to announce him this way. A two-time open champion, Brian Soko lives in my city and we're very good (laughs) friends. And he used to, if we were both home, instead of at an SCG open, he would come over, we would get some food, maybe like have some drinks or whatever. We'd just sit on my couch and we'd have it up on my big screen and we would sit there and watch. I want you to feel like if you're watching it that way or at your computer, I'm sitting there with you in the room and I'm just kind of talking you through it. I don't want you to feel like I'm, I want you to feel like I'm part of the show and have nothing else to do with it. And all the great ones, when you're watching it, you don't realize they're there. Like, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's like, they're just organically part of the show. That's per- That's a perfect analogy because that is what I tried, like the feeling of just sitting on a couch with someone and talking about the game was mm-hmm. what I wanted to do every time I commentated, basically. You do a very that, good job. That exact, that exact like, mm-hmm. environment. You know, yeah. maybe without cursing or whatever. But Yeah, <laughs> I'm a little looser on podcasts. I, I, I've thankfully <laughs> n- never done the, like, let something slip. I've, I've had a few funny ones. Like, I've, I, it's one of the, I got one of my opponents, one of my opponents, one of my buddies once let an F-bomb slip on a live broadcast where we had, like, real sponsors. And, like, they were mm. like, yeah, you can't say anything bad. So, like, that went through me. And then someone said something that, really bad. That's why you broadcast. need the, the yeah. Tigtone sponsor because they're yeah. not going to they, 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 they're they're love it. get away with whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing that ahead of time is a, is a big deal as well. Also, that's something I can say to somebody uh, at home. If you're doing this and the person next to you messes up, says something wrong, says something inappropriate, try not to react to it. Do your job. <laughs> deal with it afterwards when you're not on screen. If someone says something incorrect, like they say if a creature has, you know, first strike and has death touch, you can very organically uh fix that or just kind of keep going you don't have to always fix it because you don't want to like take away their credibility because there are ways in the booth that you could talk uh about what's going on and in the way that you do so it takes away the credibility of the other person and stuff too so that's something you got to watch 
as well as like how he, there's just so much to it. I mean, it's also so write easy a book. to oh, magic cards yeah. have 1000 lines of text. It's yeah. very easy to just forget one of them. It, you need the scroll bar now on text online. Like I, I was explaining, I was explaining a card. The card in my deck is named after the slow card to mm-hmm. one of my opponents. He's like, all right, what's, what's it do? What's yeah, it do? And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. So it's got trample every time my land goes to play, every time this happens, every time that happens. And, you know, I can pay three counters or turn it to a hand. And they still were surprised when they ley line bound my creature and I got lands back. <laughs> I I had an opponent cast the standard legal Ashiok against me and I picked that card up four separate times <laughs> to read it. It yep. has so much text. The new Kaya that they just spoiled is unparsable. I read is... it three times. I can't tell you what it does. Yeah. I, I see. I looked at it and I'm like, I got to come back to this. I'm in the middle of work right now. I, 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 I yeah. can't. It's if anyone so gets much. it, I expect you to get it. But well, I just didn't have the bandwidth at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you get it eventually. And then you get that. The abilities are kind of tied together by exiling creature cards, but it just like, like there's this level of modern magic design where they're trying to account for like every scenario in the card text and it just like collapses in on itself under its own weight when it's like it's not just exiling creature cards from graveyards it's exiling creatures from play too and so we're going to make this do both of those things and also if you do it with other cards then it'll also work and it's like oh my god please just like make it not work sometimes I want to go into the shortest of short tangents about uh, design because this is something I care a lot about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of the cards they previewed today are very, I don't want to say like show offy in terms of design, but they're very like playful Flashy. or uh, just like intrinsically. For example, they spoiled Krenko, which is mm-hmm. like some goblin that you can sack an artifact to. Mm, I don't even remember what it does. You, you sack an artifact to do something. Oh, give all goblins a plus one counter. That's what it is. Yeah. And then whenever an artifact you control, it has a triggered ability. Whenever an artifact you control dies, you can pay a red and make a goblin. That card works so that when you sack an artifact, you can make a goblin and then the ability resolves and you get the counters. But it doesn't tell you that's all it's doing. It's like all split up. So it's a very intentional design, but they've like hidden how the card works in game text. And that they've been doing that for like two years now. And this set is the most blatant about it. And I can't tell if I personally really respect it or kind of resent it. And it's a little of both. (laughs) I I think that there is a certain number of these cards that it's good to do because you feel just a little twinge of cleverness at yourself when you read it and you're like, oh, cute. The the token gets the plus one plus one counter too. Like, I like that. Um, But sometimes the payoff isn't worth the effort and also sometimes it's the 10th card that does something like that at the set and it's just like i no longer am feeling clever about this anymore by the way this set looks like a banger so far i will say that i am i am so there's it's been a hot contention in one of our like local discords i am i love it so far i'm really looking forward to it it gives me some like early ravnica feel honestly it gives me vibes of just a different like we're playing a board game like i'm here's that's a suspect wanted, right yeah, yeah which, wanted, which is right? kind of nice like yeah. I, I i enjoy it so far there are a couple of specific designs that i think could have used a little more time in the oven like sure. that kaya the the way that the 
are they cases whatever it is the ones that like look like sagas and you have to like solve them by fulfilling a condition is just yeah. a little bit like we we went to top down so hard that we yeah. like tripped over our own feet here but yeah. a, a, a lot of this stuff does look pretty cool to me also the I, I love I like the idea of the showcase treatment being like, oh, this is our like file, file. on this guy. Yeah. But you it's can't cute. tell what color any of the cards are by looking at them, which is problematic. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be showcase of his hit or miss with me. It's going to be so problematic trying to like parse coverage if people are playing black cards that look like white cards. Oh, but, yeah, I can't stand that, especially in like an Orzhov deck and like a draft or something. It would be I remember when. Uh, all be one had oil slick treatment cards and getting some of those in draft on coverage was really hard to parse like exactly what the card was the shadowed cards from yes yeah yeah from like the shadowed lands i was like i can't I, that is a oh, dual land the... i have no idea just you know when they were like really dark from the <laughs> yes. what was it double feature i think Inish, oh, Inish, Inish, it was yeah. the innerstrad blade basics were like yeah. super dark yeah it's like i can't yeah. tell what land. i was like that that could be a mountain that could be a forest could be a swamp i don't know like, I played against you... Domain last weekend. They had all those lands, and I'm just like, you know what? If they're cheating me, they got it. Like, I'm just going to assume they have Domain. One <laughs> they of the got, hardest like, things... six basics of play. Sorry. Yeah, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is for a lot of the Pro Tours, I do, whenever you're watching play, and you know, you see the thing on the side, like cards in hand, and it tells you what cards that people have in hand. I am physically standing behind a player with an iPad, and I am physically moving oh, I cards. Know. I yeah. spotted you at one of those events, and I asked who was doing it because I like only saw you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I was impressed I, I think that was one of the best things that they added to the broadcast whatever year that was yeah it's uh myself and frank karsten it's uh <laughs> there's a lot of pro points doing the uh the, the hand reader but it can get difficult at times like i've done like lsv you know who's like constantly moving his cards um i literally just blanked on his name the world champion that is the fervent champion or he's the one drop uh red javier, creature. Oh, javier, javier yeah. yes i went i went the name that popped in my head was not correct, but Javier, I've done, Javier is the word, he hides his hand, and then he, or he plays it super close to, like, his chest, and I'm like, I'm never going to tell him, hey, let me look at your hand, so I'm like, you know, the, people at home can't see me, but I'm, like, trying to, you know, jump around and craning your area. neck, you know, yeah, getting and I around have an area I have to stay in, so I'm off camera, because there's, like, seven cameras on us, but if you stand in one little, like, three-foot area, you're invisible, like, the cameras just can't see you, and so I'm trying to keep up, and then um sometimes like if if the player from another country all their cards are in different languages and then all the cards look the same like if they're playing esper like it has like three or four different blue black dual lands and i can't read the name and they all look exactly the same in the hands so i have just have to guess sometimes so it can get difficult it's wild up there with those things yeah well we have been recording for a while. I don't know if, if, if we try to do deck difficulty, if we're not yeah. going to give it its due, or if we think we can power through Look, and make this Tannen, happen. Tannen wants to do it. Okay. I'm not going and, anywhere. You know, let's do it. We can come back to it about Tannen yeah. if we really need to, but I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. game. I wanted to talk about this for, I like, think yeah. I wrote this notes months ago. I was ago. pretty excited <laughs> when he sent me the message, you want to do this. I was like, oh yeah, I don't want this <laughs> okay, conversation. Well, I, I won't deprive you that. Sure. I'll try to be... Uh, le- less long on the Either. ah well you know if we're doing this until nine we're that's sure. not a big deal at all you can make so. it two episodes you know <laughs> I, I probably won't it'll, 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 it'll just it be is an extra special is. episode yeah. cool <laughs> this you get for having me on the show by the way I, that's i yeah i i kind of expected this is fine lee this is your baby so do you want to intro this segment yeah 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 i do so (laughs) 
one of my little bugbears, my little pet peeves, is in all, most discussions revolving around like deck difficulty or how difficult something is, especially decks that are perceived to be like really hard and kind of out there. I, I, I typically play a lot of these decks. Uh, and this was prompted by, uh, I wrote these show notes months ago. We're just getting to it now. Uh, at the time, Scam, the like Fury is Legal Scam, was very popular. And someone had written like a guide on hardened scales because it was one of the very few decks that had done work against Scam at the time. Like it was, it was good. And in that little article, that write-up someone wrote, I can't even remember who did it. I didn't write it down. Uh, they said that scales is a tricky deck that takes time to master. Make sure you get your practice in beforehand. And that was the only disclaimer that was not listed for any of the decks discussed like before that point, which were creativity, rhinos, scam itself, and hammer, which would I would all describe as decks that are not easy. <laughs> but only scales got the little, oh, this deck is so mathy, this is so hard kind of disclaimer, which is just... That's not how it works. Because you can boil it down to like, yes, there's a lot of math with scales, but you can also back up and be like, if you have these three permanents in play, there's a 90% chance they're dead. So sure. The main point is it's also relative too, right? Like you're really good at math. Like, like I'm not great at math. Like I've never been great at mathy decks, like hammer scales, like old school affinity scare the crap out of me because I'm going to, I'm not going to optimize, you know, but you give me a deck where like I have to play a tempo game. I'm going to get you, you know, like that, that's my thing. That's my jam. So I find it easier, but yeah, sorry. Yeah, and let me, no, no, let me, let me use an example. You just gave like old school affinity. So this was affinity was huge. when it was in standard and one of the yeah. big things was ravager uh, and disciple of the vault made these like really mathy board states. But even in that deck, like in the non affinity mirror, if you were just like attacking with two creatures that were both artifact creatures and you had a ravager in play, it like didn't matter. You're going to kill mm-hmm. them. <laughs> that's the easiest thing you could possibly do in that format because <laughs> they were dead but at the same time affinity did have that like you gotta you gotta get your reps in and that's true but it's true for every deck because yeah it's I all found, relative uh, as a person who relies heavily on getting reps in i have found myself punting with the like quote easiest decks you could possibly imagine and just like realizing up up a turn or two later yeah that was really really bad and i only had three options but i picked the wrong one i picked the only one that got that got me killed yeah yeah. (laughs) been there yeah so i I, for me reps are equally important regardless of complexity of deck Mm -hmm. i i basically have like kind of separated the difficulty of a deck into kind of three categories, which I think you can slot a lot of decks into. Uh, The first one is just like sequencing, which is a baseline difficulty of every single deck. But some decks require it a lot more than others. For instance, like Delver is a pen. It's like a paragon of a sequencing deck. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tannen, but that's... I'm going to let you, I'm gonna let you full and talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to hear all of it before I make a comment. Yeah. Uh, you, you're constantly evaluating the, like, the cards you have access to and the, that are coming up versus your opponents. So that's just like a normal thing you do in the game in every single game you play in Magic, no matter what deck you're playing, right? But in Delver or you know Jund, decks like that, like normal air quotes Magic decks, 
that's the primary thing you're engaging the game with. And that's those are decks I'm honestly not very good at because they rely on base magic plays so heavily, and I am better at interactions between cards, for instance. Uh, which is the next like category I would put in. This is just like synergies or interactions between cards. Uh, these are like your scales, your Yawgmoths, your hammers. These are like A plus Bs or plus Cs combo decks or synergy driven decks. Like Yawgmoth, you need a heavy mass of creatures. Scales, you have the eponymous card and Ravager and all such. And you you, you can learn those interactions between those cards. Agatha Soul Cauldron is a big one. Oh, like over time or you can just prepare for them. But they're relatively easy to pick up. Like... People say that Scales, Yawgmoth, Hammer are all high-difficulty decks, but they're mostly just normal magic decks that have little outside-the-box interactions you can pretty easily intuit. Whereas something like Delver is going to have... is not going to have those weird interactions. It's just straight-up classic magic. The third type of deck difficulty, the last one, is the homework where your deck is just doing something different and you have to know about it before you play the deck. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's more difficult. It's just different than what other decks are doing. Like your homework while you're playing Delver is just playing the game. Uh, your homework playing like Charbelcher or Lotus, uh, Lotus Field, like in Pioneer, you have to know the line. You have to know what your combo line is to kill your opponent. Because if you just don't know that, you're going to lose. But you don't have to know that in the middle of the game. You can prepare for it beforehand. Like you can just sit at your desk at home seeing like, all right, these are the cards I need. I need to play them in sequence A, B, C, and we're good to go. We've won the game. And then all, all you do in the game is executing. I actually think these are among the easiest decks to play, at least for me, uh, because you can front load all your work. Yeah, I think your comment at the end there is really important. It's kind of like what we're talking about, the relativistic effects of like a deck being easier or harder for you. And like there are certain decks that I gravitate towards and will have easier times with than other decks, even though I've played a pretty big range of decks over my career. If you look at all the decks that I've done well with, there's like one empty area. Like I just don't play combo decks very much because uh, those are the ones that I perceive to be harder because I don't have as much base to fall back on. And when I say harder, it's harder for me. I don't mean harder in general, because I'm going to say this, all magic decks are hard. They're all difficult to play and to play at a, at a very high level. Yeah, thanks for the thumbs up there. Get rid of home, couldn't see that. Like one of the hardest decks and like most difficult decks I've ever had to play was like just mono red. I played mono red at an Invitational once years and years ago, like, you know, the Tom Ross deck. And it was so good, but like you had to make sure you did, you did not miss a point of damage. You didn't mess up anywhere. Every little thing mattered. You know, when you could attack to, like, throw creatures away, when you couldn't, et cetera, things like that. And I still remember for the longest time, people would be like, oh, we're getting somebody into the game. What deck did you play? Oh, just give them mono red and standard. It's easy. And I'm just like, it's, it's really not. Like, none of it's no. easy. You have to teach them the foundation of the game. They're going to learn from there. Then there's certain things you gravitate towards. Like, if the three of us were playing in a team trios, and it was like, you had to pick from these three decks... I think we were like actually really great with the dichotomy because like Lee, you would obviously get the weird deck, whatever the weirdest weirdo. Deck when, is, whenever right? I'm on a team in a team tournament, yeah, if it's unified or non-unified, it doesn't yeah. matter. No one's gonna play close yeah. to what I'm playing. It's just never yeah. happened. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna give me the like the tempo-ish deck or anything that has to like attack and block and get like intricate. That, and then like 
Chris could just do whatever. Like, I, I trust him to play whatever deck he needs to play. Mid-range is great, whatever. Control is great. But, like, I actually came up as a control mage, believe it or not. I played a ton of control early in my in my life and then switched over to this kind of stuff. What were you about to say, Lee? Sorry. Believe it or not, I also was a control mage. Uh, this may be actually I don't believe hidden, it. hidden lore. I, yeah, I don't so, actually believe it. <laughs> it's kind of true, kind of not true. I've always gravitated towards combo decks, all, always. But... For a long period of Magic's competitive, like Stretch and Standard especially, combo decks were just unviable. You couldn't play them. So, I was going to say, like, where, where is, like, show me the line of where, like, you go from casting Supreme Verdict to turn one Surge node. Like, where is that, <laughs> like, where's that right turn? Because I don't, I don't know where that is. <laughs> so when I can't play a combo deck, because I, I, those are the ones I find the easiest to, to pick up to play, and I enjoy them the most. That's why I like playing them. Uh when I don't have a good one, like in, in a format that's I'm playing, I will usually gravitate towards a control deck because I perceive them to be the easiest decks for me to play. Like I'm atrocious at playing like Monored or Jund. Like I'm just not good at that style of deck. I go through my phases where I feel like I'm okay with it. You know, you had mentioned this earlier in the show, uh, CCR, with uh, you know the dichotomy of decks that I'm known for, like you know Tron versus like Delver. The funniest part of it is, is like, what's the joke? You know, like you get known for this one thing, even though it's not your actual defining thing. Like I played, I played Tron in two opens. That's it, two. <laughs> I happen to top four both of them, but and then you know, you're pretty then good. Then you're run. a Tron guy for, forever. Yeah, so then, so then I'm just Tron guy. And it's really funny. Uh, you know, I, I did actually play it in three tournaments, I think, at some point. I think I played it in Invitational, too, or whatever. Anyway, it's really funny because people were like, yeah, that deck's super easy. And, like, I'm going to try to not name names here because I don't throw anybody under the bus. But remember, after I did really well at one tournament, one of the teams that was on the SCG at the time, I, I remember it was, like, Lotus Box or something. They messaged me, and they were like, hey, like, why are you playing this deck? And I, I got that question a lot. People were like, why are you playing Tronx? Like, everybody at the time thought I was a meme or a joke or whatever. And I was like, I like winning. <laughs> and it is really good on the SCG tour. Like, it's really funny because if you go watch my matches on camera, it's just me always playing against the worst possible matchup. Like the two opens that I that I uh, that I played in, both of my winning ins are on camera. One of them is against Ponza, and one of them is against uh, Infect. And on the Infect one, I log into four on the draw in game three and somehow win. Like you know, I mean, it's just like the most ridiculous shit you've ever seen. It's the worst possible matchups. And then like I play Infect again in like the top four. It's the one Zan won, and he beats me in like with sideboarding. He beats me in like seven minutes. Like, literally, I, like, on turn two, I just, like, play something, I go, am I dead? And he goes, yeah. I, like, untaps, just, like, shows me his hand. I'm like, cool. Like, we just, you know, scoop it up because there's nothing I can do, you know, kind of thing. And, like, but the deck was so good against the field. Like, secretly, it was actually just the best deck for a long time, numbers-wise. Like, you parsed all the numbers across the board. Like, if you just wanted to give yourself the best chance to win every single round of a tournament and not just win a tournament, you know, it might not be the best choice for that weekend. But, like, I didn't have the time to put in... At that time, I did not have the time to put in, you know, a ton of hours to like learn in fact or learn something else. I was like, what's the deck that I can grab that I'll that I'll be able to play the best? And yeah, that deck was simple or easy after a certain turn. I used to joke about it on if you just turn three Karn, you could close your eyes and point to some permanent on their side of the board and the game just ends. Right. But that to get the correct spots. All that game is difficult in a different way. It's sequencing correctly for the first two turns of the game. If you mess that up even a tiny bit, you're going to lose. Or in mulligans, yeah. In right. mulligans. Like, I did I did a lot of coaching for this deck, and I had to beat it into people's head. Just mulligan. Like, your average hand size should be, like, 5.5. Like, And this was before never... the London mulligan. So yeah. it was, like, even, even more. It was important. Yeah. Like, that's and how important it was. 
Yeah, and the reason I brought up Lotus Box for this was like, I remember because they, they approached me after one of the tournaments I did well, and they're like, hey, like, is this deck actually legit? I'm like, yes, I think it's very good, like, blah, blah, blah. And I gave all the reasons, right? So their whole team ended up playing at the next one. And they like, they like had me do a call with them. Like, we went through like, I think 50 sample hands and a bunch of other stuff. And I'm like, here's how I sideboard and all these matchups, like, blah, blah, blah. I gave them the professional courtesy. If someone like them asked me for help, do it for free. Everybody else, like, hey, buy the Patreon. Here's my, you know, $5, <laughs> you know, sideboard guy, whatever, you know, the joke or whatever the time. And, I remember not a single one of them even day tued at the next event. And then I and then I top four it again. And I'm just like, obviously there's something with this deck. Like there's there's some skill gap here. And I don't mean I'm better than them, but I played the deck a ton more than them. I understood it more than them. They probably just weren't aggressively mulliganing enough. You know, like because you could there's a there's a difference to be what's the, what's the matrix? You could be shown the path, but it's different to walk the path. You know, you, you have to like actually understand what they're trying to say. And then you go into like a Delver deck. And that one can look straightforward too. There's the games where like you turn one Delver, you blind flip it, you daze them, you wasteland them, the game's over, right? You just attack three times and they're dead or whatever, right? Like that looks super simple. But like I had to learn the hard way. There's not a lot of ways to really, you know, play test a ton of legacy because I hate magic online. So I just like take my lumps and like learn things like, like I used to lose the storm matchup a ton until I figured out that like what I should be countering games one versus what I should be countering games two that are more important because like, I just didn't know in one of the games that I should just be going after cantrips because like if I let them cantrip for the first three turns, they're going to beat whatever hand I assemble. Because I, they I get learned all the that, that they in a match day two yep. of a GP as I lost, I was like, really should have countered that ponder. I, yep. I like if I had countered that ponder, maybe I would have won this game and I, Absolutely. I really screwed that up. <laughs> yeah. And like doing coaching with it actually helps you a lot. I remember um, when miracles was big, you know, with top without top. And uh, every single time I'd win a matchup against a Miracles player, I'd always get the same reaction. I was like, man, my matchup versus Delver is so good. I never lose it. Like, they <laughs> always say that. And I'm like, yeah, man, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you know, you might not play this against the best players, like blah, blah, blah. But I knew for a fact that I was sideboarding differently than most people for a long time before before the, the tech got out. And it wasn't like I was hiding it. It's just like we figured out that you had to board out four Wastelands in the matchup because they did literally nothing. Like, you just never, you all, like, one in three. 50 games you might be able to win with a wasteland, but they always play around it. And then, yeah, you went from, I think we were playing 18 lands at the time, so we went to 14 land deck, right? The problem is you only need one after the sideboard games. Like you only need one land to keep going. The games are going to go super long. You're always going to draw more lands. And the only way you win in that matchup anyway is to draw more spells than them. You're never going to beat them on a one-for-one -one basis because their cards are more powerful than yours. So like understanding that, yeah, like, but... The thing is, it was difficult to get there. It took me hundreds of matches and thousands of hours to figure that out. And talking with other people that were much better, you know, talking with Noah and a bunch of the other Delver guys at the time, you know, and I did really well and put up, you know, really great results with my own versions of the deck and stuff where I made small changes or something to it too. But yeah, that deck was extremely difficult, but they all are. And that one did have the extra little adage into it where like you have the dexterity thing and like knowing your matchups because like, everything's super powered my my all-time favorite is watching people who haven't played a lot of legacy and they think it's easy and i'm like okay go sit in the seat play i want to watch you resolve brainstorm because that'll test you it's a magic player like nothing else and it's it's a different kind of high and i really really miss that so much i i really respect uh, uh xj clout <laughs> yes because he knows just not gonna cast brainstorm just not just not gonna mess that one up <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh so do you remember dylan hand he was on team bcw for a while and I do. 
we were, I think, like, both of us had done badly or something. I don't remember. There's, like, you know, we're sitting around the hall on a Sunday, and he's playing pickup games with somebody, and he, like, always played Eldrazi Stompy, right? Always played it. And so I'm watching him play this pickup game, and he gets done, and I literally just, like, grab his deck, put it in the deck box. He just looks at me funny, and then I put my deck box in the, in the place. He's like, oh, I've never played this deck, and I just watched him play. And the very first time he cast Brainstorm, I watched his head explode. <laughs> he's just like, what do I do? Because, like, you, you go from, you know, having you know, very easy lines to all of a sudden the world's your oyster. You have a whole bunch of stuff to do. And then like, do I fetch? Do I not fetch? Like when, when do I do things? And so it's different and it's difficult. And this is a very roundabout way of saying just everything's difficult in different ways, especially in the matchups, whether you're a master of your craft or not. And you have to learn so much. Well, and also, that's just, sorry, go ahead. No, you, cause I'm about to change the subject. <laughs> well, I was just about to say, and that's a specialization and like specific skill thing. Where, yes, brainstorming is complicated when you've never cast the card yeah. brainstorm before. After you've played 20 matches with brainstorms and fetchlands, you're a lot closer and you realize, because, you know, there's, obviously there are high level brainstorm lines that you start to notice eventually, but a lot of times the brainstorming world is like, I want to get rid of these two cards after this. And the, and the, the one plus one equals two brainstorms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's like a certain ones. chunk of brainstorms. And then a certain mm -hmm. another certain chunk is hide this card or whatever. And and then like as you realize which, you know, you you build that muscle over time and then brainstorming gets easier. Uh I, you know, was in a conversation with some people and they were talking about how difficult they were finding playing uh Is It Phoenix was. And like I've never been a person who gets particularly built up by like claiming that my deck is difficult to play. Cause I think that's actually like, if you think your deck is difficult to play, then that's like a knock against the deck because like you should be playing a deck that eventually you're finding kind of easy. Um, Thank you for saying that. By the way, I, I hate that. My deck's difficult. Everybody else's is easy. That's like the typical Magic player like thought. No, no extra points for. There's no effort points in this game. It's only wins. it's not it's not competitive diving. You don't get a difficulty level. Yeah, right. Forever, one of, right? Yeah, yeah, one of my favorite quotes uh, from fighting games is, "Why would I play a low tier character? Life's hard enough." Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Why would I play a what character? A low tier character. Oh, sure. Life is yeah, hard yeah. enough. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's actually really good. Yeah. And real, real quick, before we go, we go past this, is like that's another thing too. When people talk about difficulty and, and it being relative as well, and I'm going to use myself as an example here, and hopefully I don't come off as conceited. I have played Magic for a very, very long time, off and on, like a very long time, and I have an amazing base to draw from of the game of Magic. And when it comes to like playing Magic or like you know, I picked up Flesh and Blood probably way faster than the average person. I picked up Hearthstone probably way faster than the average person because I have this base, you know, of like years and years of competitive magic, competitive poker and stuff like that. Like your brain is just wired to get it. You guys are the same way. If you started a new game, magic players are just going to pick it up quicker than any other people on the planet. We're bred for this. You know what I mean? We've been training our whole lives for this moment, you know, kind of thing. Eh, I'm pretty bad at most games, to be honest. Sure. You Play say the Spire is the only I'll take one the, that I'll I like. take the credit. I'll take <laughs> sure. The credit. Okay. I got you. Lee gets it. You can just be the quarter to listen. All right. But you're probably way better than you give yourself credit. That's what I say. Hopefully, I don't come off conceited when I say this because I'm just going to be very blunt about it. My learning curve is higher than the average person's when it comes to this specific thing, right? You put me in like 
you know, some other thing, like some science-related stuff or math-related stuff outside of combat math or whatever, like, I'm going to sound like an idiot. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look dumber or sound dumber than the average person. But when it comes to this, this is my jam. This is what I'm good at. It's what I've devoted my life to. So decks are difficult. I'm going to pick it up a little bit faster than the average player because I have that prior knowledge to pull from. So if they're newer, everything's more difficult to them than it is to me. So a deck that I might think is easy, they might find difficult. So everything's relative. And B, because you've never done something, isn't a reason to not do it. Oh, it's a great that, reason to do it. That's a thing that really detracts from me. Because a lot of times people bring up deck difficulty. It's, all right, this deck is hard. You shouldn't do it. You should do something else. Uh, and usually in the same breath of, I think this deck is extremely powerful, but it's too hard. I don't know. Maybe just try it out and see if you want to play it and then if it's too hard you don't play it you, there's no reason not to <laughs> do either one of you play amulet yes so that's 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 the white whale for me every single time like i know how to play against it don't get me wrong like i you know understand tron versus amulet like you know like blah 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 you know my matchups but i've taken opening hands of the deck so many times and i just look at it and i'm like i i don't even know if i'm supposed to keep or mulligan like i don't even know like one a <laughs> like you know i'm just like I, my eyes get crossed i don't know something about it i just can't do it like i just don't understand it you know kind of thing from the pilot I, perspective amulet is one of my favorite decks not like surprised. in in terms well not not to play i actually play it very little i, I can explain that later but it's gone through this like curve of difficulty where in 2019 or early 2019 for war this park it's of pet deck that's like popular among a couple of scg grinders and people who just like weird decks like justin cohen the canadians yeah 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 and it's really hard to play because your cards just kind of suck you're playing sacra tribe scout and primeval titans and you're yeah. assembling all these like weird things and then in that year alone, our Boreal Grazer was printed. Field of the Dead was printed. Once Upon a Time was printed. Castle Garenbrig was printed. Yeah. Yeah. And the deck got incredibly easy to play in comparison. But people still perceived it as like, oh, this deck is like a weirdo cute deck that's like too hard to play. And everyone's like, all right, once upon a time, grab my Grazer, put a thing into play, kill you. Yeah. It's just like, and nowadays... If you have Amulet and a, or a Saga and a Micah that's sent the garden and you can just kill lines. him on turn three, it's like, oh, well, this is this is the easiest thing in the world. We got Dryad now. We can kill a Valakut without even trying. Uh, 2019 or otherwise known as the year of Matthew Dilks. <laughs> I forgot to mention Dryad when I was listing all the cards that came out that year. Dryad oh, yeah, also came Dryad out that year. Yeah. yeah, the deck got a huge fate. You, you were eating good that year if you were, uh, if you were a, a, a Titan um, player. Talk about making a Titan turn easy when you just have Dryad in play, then you don't have no thoughts, just bolts. Yeah, it used to be like you gotta measure your Titans out and get the most value out of each one because that was your game plan to win the game. You like see a Hornet Queen every now and then because that's just like another <laughs> thing. And now people are just killing you with their Titan trigger. Yeah, I used to love uh, when people would post screenshots of hands and like board states on you know twitter or whatever and they're like figure out the line you know like you know the magic question stuff like oh how do we win from here like blah 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 every single time i saw an amulet one i just scrolled past it i was like nope <laughs> nope <laughs> i don't want anything to do with this <laughs> this is a foreign language and this is again just a a level of that specializations thing because 
once you have put as many matches into Amulet as Dom Harvey has, obviously Dom is an excellent player who does think about the game often in a different way than than my brain does, but you can rewire yourself by playing a type of deck and start to learn those skills. And if you put the time into Amulet, you know, as long as you have a baseline level of understanding of the game, then you can start to get the stuff. And a lot of the, the complexity, even of Amulet, which does have that level of interaction difficulty, a lot of the complexity of the game is in sequencing and threat assessment because the difficulty in every match doesn't come from your own deck once you know how it works. The difficulty in every single match of Magic the Gathering comes from the fact that you have an opponent who is playing a deck, who is a human being making decisions and playing cards against you, trying to anticipate your moves, and you're trying to beat that person. That's never going to change regardless of like perceived difficulty of your deck is that you're playing against a human being and you need to beat them and that's hard uh, i also want to circle back really briefly to a point tannin blazed pass before i sure. can stop <laughs> sorry <laughs> no I'm no i mean you you were on a roll you were on a roll i did not sure. want to stop you uh you brought up that different people are good at different things like we've been saying this frequently throughout this little topic uh and you brought up a point you know you should someone is being introduced to modern they should play burn because it's easy but like different people are good at different things and usually the things you're good at are also the things you like what if you just don't like burn mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah in i'm, I'm going to use an analogy here like in street fighter uh reuse the the character right he's the basic character it used to be like if you wanted to introduce someone to how to play the game you just tell them how to play ryu because he's bread and butter, you do X, Y, Z. The problem with that is it doesn't, they don't want to learn how to play Ryu. <laughs> they want to yeah. learn how to play whatever they drew them to the game. So if someone wants to play Amulet or Scales or whatever, Doomsday in Legacy, just let them play it. Like they'll, mm -hmm. they'll figure it out and that's going to be rewarding for them. You don't have to like a gate behind whatever. Yep. Yeah, 100% agree. Like it's, it, I've been guilty of it in my career and in my life when it comes to magic. And I've tried to stay away from that year, the last few years, but I don't think it could have put it any better than you just did. It's, it's just so important to teach someone magic and then kind of like, let them go, like figure out, like teach them how to play. Like obviously, you know, for whatever, or when they get into a format and then, you know, you can even maybe help them if they're coming from another format or know how to play the game a little bit. You're like, what, what do you like in other formats? You know, what decks have really, saying to you you know like where did you really enjoy yourself and you can maybe make it uh help them make a decision from there or whatever but when it comes down to the point of the entire conversation what we're having all decks are hard <laughs> magic is a very very difficult game like unbelievably difficult it's it's humbled me so many times it's made me feel so smart and it's made me feel so dumb so many times one way more than the other one well, i won't say which one but you could probably guess <laughs> and then yeah, and it's just, it's an amazing, it's an amazing game. And like, honestly, at my age and like the competitive level of the stuff that I'm at now, I just want to have like more fun with it. You know, like I've even like invented a format that I play with like my local crew that we play that we all have a ton of fun with. You know, I cube a lot now. Like that's probably my preferred way to play magic now is cube. Amen, and then, Janet, amen. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It's like, yeah, but the, it's, it's about the nostalgia too. I need the nostalgia drip every now and then you know like i gotta i gotta cast my snap you know the cards that are banned i'm using quote unquote banned now you know i need to cast my snapcaster mages and my sphinx's revelations and stuff so 
And and I I do think that Cube is one of those like I I mean in a way like Cube can be a way to like learn to flex different muscles if you're like willing to do it. But I do there is like a purity to cubing where people lean into the things that they're already good at and already enjoy. And, you know, you probably don't have the same first pick out of a pack as like your friends do. And that's fine. And that's cool. And because we all play this game a little differently and we all enjoy different things about it, which means that different things are easy for us and different things are difficult for us. Like I do find playing an interaction heavy deck to be a little more difficult. And in particular, the thing that I really struggle with is playing very large games, uh, games where on turn 10 of the game, my opponent and I both have seven cards in our hand. I just get like overloaded with, why are you playing Phoenix so much? No, okay, continue your, your thought. Well, you know, most of the games see, and that, like, cause I like playing Phoenix in sure. the creature matchups because we sure. trade off all of our cards and then I treasure cruise and my opponent has one card and I have five and that's <laughs> sure. ideal. And I feel so smart. Those, yeah. those, those, I don't yeah. feel smart. I just feel like I made the right deck decision. Sure. Uh, uh, the, the games where, you know, I, I had a match in my RCQ where I'm playing against this, the largest Esper deck I've ever witnessed. And we're just both like, I cast a herd migration and draw a card past the turn. My opponent rats everything away. I cast a herd migration and draw a card past the turn. My opponent rats everything away. 37 minute game. I, I scoop at the end of a 37 minute game with seven cards in my hand. And my opponent has seven cards in his hand. And I'm just like, I, I, I'm sure I screwed this game up a couple of times along the way. And also, I didn't enjoy a single turn of that game. <laughs> so perhaps... I hated every minute of this. <laughs> perhaps I have not chosen a deck that aligns with my strengths in every game that I play with it. And so I'm probably I'm switching archetypes for the next RCQ probably. But like I, I understand that this is a weakness of mine, which is something that I, I, I should spend some time working on, is getting better at those big games. But it also doesn't really appeal to me that much. And generally, I would, I would, you know, I prefer grief games to up the beanstalk games generally. And I find them more fun and I find them more interesting. And I like when the top of each player's deck matters. And I think I'm better at those games by a lot than the games where we both have access to every card in our deck. And I need to play around everything in their deck at once instead of the possibility of the next thing. So, you know. I understand where my skill sets are and I should do, I generally do a good job of making deck decisions based on that because I choose decks that I enjoy. And then, you know, when I do end up choosing a deck like Domain and then realizing I like, as we both have seven cards in our hand, like I really made a huge mistake with this one, didn't I? You might've just said like one of the most important things, the entire show there for everybody listening at home. If you're having a problem with like deck decision, deck choice, or what you perceive as hard versus easy, what CCR just said, you might want to, you know, back this up another minute and listen to it again. That will use what he just said on how to pick your decks and you'll have A, a much more enjoyable time at your tournaments and B, you'll probably do better over time as well. Also, like the only thing I can add to that is like when you're thinking about it this way, the enjoyment thing is that's a zero sum. Like you either enjoy it or you don't, but like you also need to give yourself like more than just one tournament. Like if you have bad showing with a deck, you don't need to throw it in the trash or whatever, like one of the biggest things that helped in my career is when I started to get more reps, you know, I started to get more volume. I started playing more tournaments and stuff like you're going to do bad at some of the events, but like you're going to do great at some of the events too. And if you're only playing like two or three a year, that puts so much pressure on that one or two. 
And this is where it starts to lead to mistakes or feel bads at the end because only one or two people are going to be happy, honestly, when it's all said and done. But I, I'm one of those people like, I can actually be happy in a tournament even if I don't do super well. I'm like, I still liked my preparation. I liked my deck choice, et cetera. But just re-listen to what CCR said right there. It's <laughs> absolute gold. And ignore ignore Lee, but yeah, <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah. I'm, joking. <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy. Let me. I don't know what I did to deserve that shade. Damn, Damn this is your topic <laughs> too. How, you should be home. more worried. You should be more worried if I don't kid around with you because it means it, it probably means I don't like you as much. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, let me let me tell a story from the same RCQ uh, where CCR played domain. I, I also played in this one. I played the Slogar deck. I am in the top four. Which, by the way, I predicted with 100% accuracy. I You, <laughs> you chose the Slowgirk deck, and on the last episode, I said, and you will be top eighting this RCQ with it. Easily, like, just no question that happened. I this is the number am, one seed. I am a genius, and you did well with the deck that suits you and you're good at. So, there, you know, there we go. To be fair, you had no way of knowing I was good at it because I did not play a single match before this RCQ. Okay, but also, <laughs> when we were about to play a team tournament and the Underworld Breach deck was breaking out in Pioneer at the uh, regional pro tour at the like the same weekend and we said lee you should play this because you'll be good at it and then you were immediately good at it so i know these things yeah okay do you guys tell me anyway. brothers i love this <laughs> <Tell me brothers. laughs> my story is uh i'm playing against domain uh, in the top four uh, my opponent only tangentially knows the strategy of my deck uh, and obviously and this is the third time i've played domain in the tournament so i i'm clearly familiar and this is one of the big games CCR has described that he hates playing. I kind of thrive off of, like really, mm -hmm. really like them because I, I get so much information. I have so much to work with uh, and there's very little guesswork uh, a lot of the time. It, it's just not getting lost in all of the the resources available to me. Uh, that it's that's That could be where I struggle, but... If, if people have such large games, I, I tend to do well in those scenarios because I've played a lot of like decks that thrive in high resources. My opponent, on the other hand, was not in the same boat. And it, it was visibly uh, evident coming apart by the end of the match, which he did manage to win. I will give him he had an extremely he completely pivoted strategies between games uh two and three and, and by the way when i say big game i mean huge our first game took 46 minutes oh my god Jeez. <laughs> our second game was probably not shorter <laughs> these are untimed top fours yep. so we had as much time as we wanted by the end of the second game i am like cackling like a maniac just ready to play more magic and my opponent directly is like, into my veins more yeah <laughs> and my opponent is like this is really untimed judge <laughs> 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 that's like the dichotomy and he switched strategies between games two and three and it really paid off for him uh in a way i wasn't expecting and he got the match it was great for him but he was certainly struggling to like match my my energy and like the dedication or not, not dedication to the game but like attentiveness to the game it was just getting to him i could tell yeah and i think attentiveness is really 
a big like that's the perfect word like one of the reasons that I struggle so much with games like this I believe is because of my ADHD and mm-hmm. I simply cannot like hold all of those threads and trace them down to their natural conclusion it's just too many roots and I'm much better when I can focus on a handful of things pick out which part of the game from there is the important part and identify like how I'm going to approach that in a way that my opponent isn't going to be able to stop me like my favorite games that I've been playing in the standard are the ones where I'm like my opponent doesn't understand that this restless reef is going to mill this uh yeah that this re- restless reef is going to mill them out over the next four turns and I'm going going to do that and then i start it and they're like oh shoot i'm dead to this like that's my favorite like type of game is taking the smallest resource and like making it oversized because that i can process that i can like see the thread shining in front of me when i just have to hold like you know it feels like i'm just holding a bunch of like the seagulls in James and the giant peach and trying to like wrangle all of them down and like get the peach to go in the right direction. I just, I can't, I can't do that. That's too hard. That's so hard for me. It's a really dated analogy there, by the way. <laughs> well, some it. of our listeners hey, are also it's, 35. It's sure. a classic book. Uh... <laughs> or older with me, but God, I'm old. It's okay. We're still going strong. Yeah. yeah. We can only hope to look as great as you do. <laughs> Shut up. You just have to take my word for it, uh, listeners. <laughs> I love you guys. Love you, Tannen. Yeah. Thank I you for that. being here. This was really fun. This was an absolute blast. We got to do it again sometime. Yeah. Because uh, I'm actually I'm actually a pretty big fan. Uh, I don't listen to you guys every week. I'm not gonna you know blow smoke up your ass or whatever. But like you know, uh, you know my time is limited. For, I listen to a lot of baseball podcasts. Honestly, you know, it's a lot right. of boring but, stuff. But we're but, on your app, and when you yes. have time, you, yep. you hit play. Yeah. I will. I will say this: you are one of the only magic podcasts I listen to. I don't listen to my own, obviously, and I don't listen to other ones. Nothing about you know, something against them. It's just, I get my matching information a different way. You know, like when I came up in the game, podcast didn't exist and stuff, but mm-hmm. you guys have like, this is, this is the smoke. I will blow. <laughs> you, guys, you guys, your guys sense of humor. Just, it gets like it. Lee, you know, you kill me with your sense of humor, but CCR, yours is really good too. And I love the dichotomy you'll have with the stuff uh, that you cover. I absolutely love the episode with, you know, with Mark. Uh, absolutely love that. episode. I, I try to remain neutral when I'm doing my job of coverage, but I was legit rooting for that guy at the RC in Atlanta. I wanted him to win so bad. He was just an absolute gem of a human being. He's stuff. a good so, dude. And he's passionate yeah, he's about dude. the game too. He, oh, he approaches yeah. it really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. He, and he's one of the guys and like, I can't help this. And it's something I've tried to work on being an ex professional poker player. Like, it's it's bad. So like when you play against somebody in any kind of game, and I'm sure other players do this as well, Magic, you just size somebody up when you first meet them. And like you have like your, the way you perceive them. Is it like, are they good? Are they not? You know, like how far down the rabbit it's, hole can I go with It's this impossible guy? to sit down, to sit across from an opponent and not think at least yeah. a little bit about yeah. like, do I think this person yeah. is as good as me? Like yeah. that, that yeah. pops up. Like, yeah. And the way they handle the cards, the way they do stuff. And I remember he's one of the people that I got very wrong. Like the very first time I like interact with him, you know, he's like super nice, bubbly, outgoing. And like in no way does he ever let on that he's just a killer. <laughs> he's just like very good, you know. And then I watched him like, like there's, you know, you can see me standing over his shoulder like watching. And I was just like, he took a uh, line I'm like, man, I wouldn't have done that. And then two turns later, I'm like, I would have been wrong, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like or whatever. So 
love being wrong uh, with that kind of stuff too. Speaking of that, like what you described, sizing people up and being wrong, I have played to this often because when I'm playing tournaments, a lot of people just don't know who I am until I like <laughs> unless they listen to the podcast or start talking or whatever. I'll be like, I, most I get is like, your name sounds familiar, and then whatever. But I am also pretty friendly, and I'm not. I mean, I'm not like. I, I I take it pretty casual. People ask me questions, I just tell them whatever. And a lot of people are being like, "All right, when did you start playing?" And I'll be like, "Yeah, whatever." But I've just played casually since you know mirrored and or whatever. And in Flesh and Blood, I remember playing in a calling, which was a Grand Prix equivalent, and my opponent really, really was dedicated to winning this one and i was i was just like was kind of honest like flesh and blood but just like playing and just playing this calling and just play it treat it kind of casually but i'm like pretty good like i'm not a slouch and you i can trust win a game. my opponent yeah you, yeah. Can, you can definitely win a game because that, that game is way more way less variance than magic yeah yeah so sorry good and I, I and i trounced my opponent and he was very upset and I, t- I talked to one of the vendors after the, after that, and I like explained our little interaction, and the one of the vendors was like, "Why did why did you tell him you were casual? You just told him you play tournaments every week." And I was just like, "Yeah, but I mean, didn't matter. You should have won." <laughs> I said this really good one. Uh, growing up, you guys might have heard the story for a second. But I'll give it to your viewers if you listen to the uh, any of the flashback stuff. I used to play in Texas a lot growing up, like Louisiana, Texas, and for some reason, Texas players really cared about their rating. Girl, like when I was growing up and playing a lot of PTQs and they would literally ask you, they'd sit down and be like, Hey, what's your rating? And like, you know, in the format you're in a, and like, it always threw me. I'm like, it's, it's like almost insulting, you know, like kind of thing. It's like, it's, it's, it's almost breaching that of like things you shouldn't ask people. And I remember I used to mess with people. Cause like, you know, they didn't know who I was at the time. I, I also was not a named player at all at this time. This is a very different era in magic. It's like mid two thousands. So like the only people people knew were like pro tour champions and stuff as well. And I remember, you know, it was like I was there for like a sealed Grand Prix and we're, you know, a few rounds in and this kid who's like obviously very cocky, probably pretty good or whatever. He asked me my rating and I, you know, I didn't say anything. And then I beat him in the match and afterwards, uh, or no, he asked me my rating. And I was like, I don't know, man, like what's rating again? He goes, you know, the number thing. I was like, oh, I think I'm like 15 something, you know, which is under the, which is under the 1600 the default, threshold yeah. you start out. So like, I'm like a losing player, like what a mm-hmm. losing player. And so the match gets over and his friends come over and they're like, hey, like, did you win or whatever? And he's like, he's got like his little crew with him, you know, or whatever. He's like, no, I just lost this like random dude and I'm going to lose the max points. And I just start like cackling. I start laughing. And he's like, what? I'm like, I'm like, dude, my, my rating's not 15 something. And he's just like, oh. And I was like, yeah, I'm just not going to answer your damn question. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? I was like, it, it doesn't matter. But like just, you know, things that people say and perceive and stuff. It was just, it was so weird. Like, right. man, magic that, was just so whole- different back then. I am embarrassed that when I sit down in front of somebody, I automatically think like, is this person good? Can this person hang? Like, I don't, I don't actually want to feel like that. And I would never admit to my opponent that like, that's a thing that's entered my head because it doesn't actually matter to me at all. Yeah. You feel Um, guilty, right? Like, like a little guilty, but like, it's a natural human reaction. Like. So do you do you feel guilty CCR when you do it? Because I, I definitely do. Well, I just put it out of my head because it's also bad for me, right? Because yeah. I need to be playing at 100% regardless of how like good or whatever mm-hmm. my opponent is. So it it's not matter. a thing that's worth spending any brain power on. It's not a thing yeah. worth thinking good about. Point. And also somebody can present 
an aw shucks at it. Somebody can be Lee yeah. across from you and I don't know <laughs> yeah. who you are. And you, you got this like, you know, chill, casual demeanor. And then you just like rock me with Slogurk. Like any that <laughs> could happen. And so it's so stupid to to like use anybody's presentation and try to like, like my opponent is good. Whoever I'm playing against, that is my assumption going into the game. My opponent is good until they show me something, some mistake that I think I could get them to make again or something like that is maybe, you know, if I find an exploitable hole that I need to exploit to win, then sure, that's one thing that I can pick up from gameplay. But, you know, I'm going to mulligan like my opponent it knows what they're doing with their deck. I'm going to sequence like my opponent knows how their deck works, and that's going to win you way more games than anything else. I... I'm guilty to say I don't size people up. At That's the beginning good. Of the match. <laughs> I'm yeah. jealous Be- because I have a huge, or it had. I've been working extremely hard throughout the years. Out of control ego, like I just cannot <laughs> handle losing to people. Or at the time, at, at sometimes in my life, could not handle losing to anyone I perceived to be worse than me, which was everyone. <laughs> that's a very that's a sure that's a very healthy thing to to work on i've had i've had that problem as well so nowadays i'm just like all right i'm this person is better than me until proven otherwise i will give give it my all and that's it doesn't matter the age of my opponent or if they're you know uh, we have a friend alan who is also grew up around here at more rural area has a that has an accent, right? And a lot of people tend to underestimate him if they don't know who he is, just be based on that fact alone. Yeah, he talks uh, a little slower, has the kind of like southern draw or something, or the backwood yeah. kind of accent thing. Yeah, and is and, probably uh, actively drinking at the tournament. So <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't help. Yeah, yeah. And he's great. He's a great magic yeah, player. He'll crush you. Not surprised. And you just can't take people by stereotypes or face value it's just like not helpful or not good agreed all right that's probably that's probably enough content <laughs> i'll Another day blame it on me I will t- I'll, I'll take i'll take full responsibility yeah. link this, no, this was great i love no, this, this was fantastic i enjoyed the whole thing yeah this is this was a blast absolutely didn't have to listen to ross this is amazing yeah. <laughs> i hope he hears this <laughs> <laughs> there's no chance no shot yeah, I love you, Ross. <laughs> What's funny is when I listen to y'all's podcast, Ross often makes points I want to make in much the same manner I would. Mm-hmm. So I, I get the man, Ross. Ross is so smart when he's se- when he's saying something on the podcast. I don't ever tell already. Yeah, yeah. Don't when, ever he's, tell when he's agreeing him. with me, when he's agreeing yeah. with me, I'm like, yeah, Ross is the best. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he makes you feel great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Tannen, anything to plug? Any message to get out to our listeners? I mean, you know, listen to MTG Rants. We've got that. The, end of, the end of the show is all for you. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. Listen to MTG Rants. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, the Tannen Grace. That's about it. Uh, Twitter, I will warn you, there's some magic tweets. Uh, it's just a lot of me talking about sports, baseball, random stuff, like pop culture. I love movies and TV and books and stuff. So I'll be retweeting funny things and stuff like that. So if you're looking for like, the most current deck list and stuff uh, those days are probably over for me but if you want to see like where you can get coverage and stuff that's that's a lot there it's or how the braves are doing yeah if you if you randomly are atlanta braves fan i am a, like one of the best follows you'll ever get in your life i am obsessed so it's, it's literally my favorite thing in the world for anybody who hasn't picked that up it's i absolutely love baseball 
you know how many games they play in a season? Do you want to go? No. A lot. I know it's upwards of 80. It's 162 regular season games and then postseason games. I will watch every single game live during the season that I can, which is generally about 150 of them. Like physically, I can't watch some of them. And then I pay for the service like where I get all the games. And so I can watch it later and like skip through the, the stuff. It's my absolute favorite thing in the world. Like I love fantasy baseball. I follow the minor leagues. Like I'm obsessed. Like if I could have done poker or magic to this level, I would have been like a pro tour champion or like, you know, won a world series bracelet or something. I'm going to have actually won a trophy guys. It might've actually yeah. happened. Who knows? <laughs> this is your Marshall watch channel. Yeah, exactly. This, this is, this is my thing. Like I absolutely just, I love every part of it. I love the business side of it, all of it. And there, there's a dichotomy between magic players and baseball too. Like the numbers, the analytics and stuff, they kind of gravitate towards it, but Yeah. That's what you're going to get from my Twitter and social media. But, you know, I do a bunch of coverage and some other stuff. But the only other message, keep listening to this podcast because it's my second favorite Magic podcast. Because obviously my own has to be my favorite, right? That's I, fair. I think, I that's think only that's, fair. Sure. Well, you're 1A. You'd that? have to, if, you're, if your own podcast isn't, then you have to like, Im- you, you need to take that as impetus to improve your game. Until you'd up you your game, there. yeah. 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 <laughs> And thanks for having me. Hopefully everybody at home didn't hate listening to me talk this much. Well, you know, I think that it's a podcast you can turn you can turn it off if you have to. But but I or, think you know, it's too late. Yeah. You're stuck with me. <laughs> Listen I, to it in multiple sessions. You know, I do that all the time. But I enjoyed this, so I assume that the other people would also enjoy it. Thanks everybody for listening. Appreciate you hanging out. If you want to lend us some support, we still got the Patreon up, patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. We have just finished our next uh, set of tokens, and so those will be going out to all patrons, new and old, very soon. They're super adorable. I need adorable. some of those. I need yeah. some of those. I'll, 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 get, I'll get some to you. Yeah. They're really cute. I'll, I'll show them to you in just a second. Yeah. But yeah, that's it. Thanks, Tannen. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Have a great week. <laughs> Bye.